And uh, I have a wife, a lovely wife, Jennifer, and our baby boy, Judah. Um, Leon, about a month ago, asked me to preach on the topic of neighboring. So I'd like you to open up to Genesis 1-1, and we're going to read the whole Bible. Um, that's all we're going to do today. Because um, it is everywhere in here. So if I don't cover something, um, please... Just know that I'm not doing it because I didn't want to. I'm doing it for you because I don't want you to be here for the next 24 hours. Um, but what? There we go. Um, what, what I do want you to know, while the, this theme of neighboring is throughout the entire Bible, it's an old theme. It's not like we're going to be focusing on the book of Luke for primarily, but it's not a new theme that comes up. Uh, we look at a couple key verses. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Uh, consider the greatest commandment in the New Testament. And the second greatest is found in Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what we're going to be focusing on uh, primarily today, is how we love our neighbor in the city of Detroit. Um, just to kind of give us a little bit of background of me, about me, I'm from California originally. I am the only person that actually spent more than two years there and didn't leave. Uh, but I left about four years ago. Um, and when I was there, I was able to follow my passion. I worked in a neighborhood called Skid Row, which I don't know if you know anything about it, but Skid Row is um, within about a 15-block radius on any given night. There's about 9,000 to 15,000 people that are homeless. Uh, I got a, a picture of the kind of... This is a typical block on Skid Row, and this is actually not very plugged in at all. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. And you picture what goes along. A lot of times what goes on with homelessness, people are starving, struggling. Uh, they're literally fighting to survive. Um, but what I did there, I was a part of an organization. I was able to serve families and kids. I was able to follow my passion and serve kids that were in ridiculously difficult situations. Uh, I was there for about, I don't know, five years or so, and I kind of built the reputation that I was, if you were a homeless family, I was, or at least my organization was who you would come to to get help. So I did this for five years every day. I'd sometimes leave at midnight, sometimes leave at seven o'clock in the morning, or seven o'clock in the evening. But one day I had to get back to Long Beach, which is where I lived, because I couldn't afford to be in, to live in Skid Row, because it was like $3,000 a month to be able to live in something that wasn't a tent. Um, it was crazy. So I, I had to jump the train. It was 25 miles for me to ride from downtown L.A. to downtown Long Beach, which is where I live. And I rode on the Blue Line, which if you know anything about the trains there, they're not fast. Um, but this one day, I had to jump on the Blue Line, and it was 7 o'clock, and that was the time that I'm supposed to be jumping on the train. And I knew that it was rush hour. I knew that I was going to have to be fighting to get a seat on the train. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get on the train. So I'm running down the stairs to get into the Flower Street Station, and I see the doors that are open and people are packing themselves in. I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. So I run. I do like a Forrest Gump thing. And I'm just running and running and running. And the doors, I slip in right before the doors close. I look to my left and there's like 30,000 people that are in the train over here. And I look to my right and I see four empty seats. I'm like, dang, God is good. This is awesome. And I just jump in my seat. I grab my bag. I'm like, I got a train ride for the next hour and a half. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. So I opened a book, and uh, I was reading Rob Bell's Velvet Elvis. It's a good book, but uh, besides the point. Anyways, I opened this up. I'm like, I got an hour and a half to read. I'm chilling. So we pull out of the station. Nobody's sitting next to me. And I'm like, that's kind of odd. And nobody's sitting. I see a whole bunch of people standing. And then uh, we get to the Chick Hearn station. And um, 
I stop, we stop, and then people rush into the, get in, nobody gets off, and the train gets even more packed. People sit down with me for like two seconds, and I'm reading, and then all of a sudden they get up, and I'm just reading my book, and I just look at the corner, and I'm like, they're getting up. So I do what any normal person's going to do. I check my armpits, I check my breath. I'm like, is my, is my zipper down? Like, is there something wrong with me? Like, I, I know I stank, but it can't be that bad. Um, and, but then they got up, and I'm just like, okay, well, I don't think I smell. Like, I think I'm good. So we go to the next station. Same thing happens. And I'm reading, and I'm like, man, something's wrong, something's wrong. And I'm reading, and then I, I look down to my left, across the aisle over here. And I look, and I'm like, there's somebody that's not wearing any shoes over there. I'm like, that's really weird. That's, that's odd. Like, she's got those, like, nasty feet that you see. Like, you know, when you walk around barefoot all the time, and you get, like, those calluses. And I was like, that's weird. She's not wearing shoes, but... Hey, people don't wear shoes all the time. And I looked a little bit more, and I'm not checking her out, just to make this clear. I was just, it was just strange that she wasn't wearing shoes in the middle of a train in the subway in L.A. And uh, I look up, and I'm like, huh, she's not wearing pants. I look up. She's not wearing shorts. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she is, there's a naked woman on the other side of the train. This is crazy. And I, like, I pop my head back my head back in my book and like the book's upside down and I'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh what do I do what do I do what do I do and I'm was the first thought I kid you not the first thought that went through my head was WWJD what would Jesus do no I didn't carry the bracelets or whatever but that's what I went through my thoughts so I put my head in my book and people were coming sitting down and getting back up and coming sitting down and getting back up for like five miles they do this and I'm just like there's got to be something I can do so I muster up all my courage I sit in my seat and I'm like I looked her straight in the eye because I wanted to be respectful. So I looked her straight in the eye and I was like, ma'am, I don't know what's going on, but is there anything I can do to help you? And she looks right back at me and she's like, <laughs> that's all she does. She just laughs for the next 30 seconds. And I grab myself, I grab my book and I run to the other side of the train. But the other side of the train that I can see what's going on with her, because this is interesting. This is really fascinating. I got this naked woman that's chilling on the train and I'm riding for 25 miles. I put my Rob Bell book away and I'm done with it. Done with it. Like, this is way too fascinating. And I was like, I'm going to see. I want to see when the police come and take her. I want to see, like, if she gets up and walks off the next station in the middle of South Central L.A. And uh, so for 20 miles, I watch. And I am disappointed because nothing happens. Not a single thing. We go. People sit down next to her. Then people leave. We go. People sit down next to her. And then people leave. And I'm just like, dude, that's kind of crazy. Like, and I'm just hoping that she's going to go. So anyways, 25 miles, an hour and a half later, uh, being near this woman, I get to my, my Long Beach bus or train stop. And my house is like a block away or my apartment that's the size of this stand that I paid X amount of dollars for. Um, and I just go, nothing happened. It wasn't very interesting. And while I'm walking the block to my house, it struck me. I'm just like, I'm this guy who works with homeless families. And I saw a woman that was naked, that was clearly sick, that had no place to go. And I didn't do anything. And I hated myself for it. Uh, because this is who I am. If anybody was going to help her at this point, uh, that was a Christian that loved Jesus, was trying to represent Christ, you would think it would have been me. But I did nothing, absolutely nothing for this woman. And it was very clear. When you look at the scriptures, 
Um, oh, there's the train uh, downtown LA. Um, you look at the scriptures. I'm just going to read this. This is what I when I, I thought that I literally cried to myself. I was loathing who I was. Um, and I came home and I read this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see... Uh, Man, I have some typos in here. When did you see me or see me sick or in prison and go to visit you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I put the pieces together, and this is how I think I accurately read it. I literally was sitting next to Christ, and that is exactly how I treated him. By doing nothing. So, four years, four years go by, and that's a problem. Just if you don't know that, that's a problem. That's a huge issue. So Leon, well, the pastoral team gives me this theme of neighboring, and I, I have to go back to this story because I feel so inadequate in telling it. Um, I feel so inadequate in saying, this is how you're supposed to neighbor, and this is how you're supposed to neighbor. But here's the truth. Jesus says that we can and we do. Um, these, are the, these are the scriptures that I'm going to be going through today. You can turn ahead if you want to. If you're sick of Luke 6, you know, turn to, turn to the next one, Luke 10, and then Luke 23. But turn with me to Luke chapter 6 real quick. Um, Luke 6, 27 to 36. Um, I got it. If you're using this big Bible from the back, it's on page 1601. <clears throat> but to you who are listening, I say... Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. I'm going to actually read it out of here because I might have a typo up there and I don't want to get this wrong. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is, to, is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Um, what credit is that to you? Uh, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid and filled. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them expect, without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And verse 36, this is the summary of this whole passage. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, if, this is the only time I'm going to mention Greek this whole time. But there's a whole bunch, there's a list of things that God's commanding you to do. There's a whole bunch of imperatives in here. And the last thing I am telling you here is another list of things that you do. That means if you do this, X, Y, and Z, if you lend and if you give and if you love your enemy and you do this, this, and this, that means you're a good neighbor. That is not what Christ teaches. He's not about lists. He's about, he's about who you are in him. Um, verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Um, let me fast forward through my notes a little bit. Um, 
And, I mean, those things are good. I'm not saying that that list of things aren't good things to do, because they are. Loving your enemy, I mean, that, that is an amazingly challenging and good thing to do. But that's not the point. The point is to figure out how to be merciful. I'm going to tie it in. We're actually going to skip ahead to, uh, to the next passage. Um, and this is Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is, if you have read the Bible for a year, you've probably come across this. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and remember that Christ calls us to be merciful. Um, verse 25, it's 1612 in the Bible. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Uh, and think, no, back up. The question that I'm trying to answer with this is, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? To be the neighbor that Christ calls us to be in Leviticus, and when he says that this is the, the second greatest commandment behind, behind loving God. Um, so what does it mean to be a, that type of neighbor? And 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Dude, the man knew how to make a list and check things off the list. That's, that's what he was doing. Uh, but Jesus went on. But, he wanted, but the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and we saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came into the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, actually, I need to fast forward this. Um, if you guys see that I'm not fast forwarding through this, uh, just fast forward to it on your own. Uh, the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense, any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Samaritan. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Um, now, I picture the Levite and the priest kind of as how I was in that situation on the train. I am the person that's expected to do this, that I, if anybody's going to do this, it's going to be me because, you know what, I work with homeless families, I do this. I'm the priest, and you know, I teach the law of God. I'm the Levite. I am the heir of the throne. I am part of Israel. Um, this is what's up. Uh, but, you know, they're not the ones that do it. They're not the ones that do it, and they're not the ones that we are called to look to and follow in this passage. We're called to follow the Samaritan. And here's who the Samaritan is. The Samaritan is the person that's hated, that is despised in Israel. And this for a number of reasons. Um, quick history. Uh, when Assyria took over Israel, the Samaritans, um, basically Samaria, when they came back, they allowed others to join into them. It wasn't a pure breed um, of Jewish ancestry. Um, they created their own temple that wasn't in Jerusalem, and that was a huge no-no back in the day. Like, you didn't do that. 
and because of this, for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, they were despised and hated. So the Samaritan was hated by the Levite. The Samaritan was hated by the priest. But you get this story where the Samaritan walks by this man who's been beaten, who's been left half for dead. And who's the one that actually does what you're supposed to follow? It's the hated and dreaded Samaritan. And Jesus paints a picture of him as not somebody to hate, but somebody to love, because that's exactly what he is. He is somebody to love. He is made by God. Just, just like that woman is made by God. I didn't see her that way. The Samaritan saw not only himself or herself, or saw himself, but saw the beaten half-dead man as somebody that I am going to love and I am going to serve. Even though I'm not expected to do this, I'm the least likely person to do this, this is somebody else's job. He doesn't give any excuses. He gives everything that he is. Every single thing. He gives his time. He doesn't let some sort of racist excuse get in the way of saying, I'm going to be the Samaritan and I'm only going to serve Samaritans. I'm going to serve those people who I think are good in God's eyes. Uh, he serves and he loves and he gives everything. He pays his medical bills uh, and he leaves money behind for, for the innkeeper and says, you know what, if it costs more than this, if it costs less than this, you know, keep the money for yourself. If it costs more than this, I'm going to pay you back completely. And what does Jesus say? He asks, who is the person who showed mercy? Not the priest who you expect, not the Levite who you expect, but the Samaritan who you least expect. And he said, the man that's questioning him on this says, I, who's the one that I should follow, basically? It's the one who showed mercy. Mercy is the key to being a good neighbor in every situation that you're in. And there's not an option. There's literally not an option for not showing mercy in whatever situation you are in Christ. Um, you don't get to hide it. You really don't get to hide any part of who you are in Christ. You can hide some of the, well, how do I say this? It's a distinction. Being in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives you things that are never supposed to be hid. Uh, you think of the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You don't get to hide that light. You don't get to. Um, and And if you think it's not going to supposed to be you to serve the man that's half dead on the road, I guarantee you, you are the best person to do it because you're the least expected person to do it. And you have to give all that you are. Um, I think this is probably the second best example of what it means to show mercy and to be a good neighbor in, the, in all of the Bible. Uh, that's my opinion. The first is what we're going to be looking at next. Oh, what is mercy? Um, this is a little bit... For those of you who like definitions, I'm, I'm a little more, I'm a lot more type B than type A, but some people like definitions. Um, what is mercy to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need? Um, this is not my own words. This is probably hundreds of scholars that are trying to sum up what this specific instance of mercy means. It's in a book called BDAG. I'll show it to you if you want to, but this is the definition of it. Um, Luke 23. Uh, 39. Um, I'm going to set this up. I mean, we've, we've, clearly we've talked about Christ in this church. Um, this is, I'm going to check the time because sometimes I talk a little bit too long. Um, this is, if you look at the book of Luke, it's very interesting what, if you, I'm not even going to go into it, but look what Jesus' first action is in the book of Luke. He's doing things that 
a king would be expected to do. But he is low. He is not lower. He is serving. He is a man of mercy the entire time. He's not meeting the needs. This is his last thing that he does on earth before he dies. Um, while he's on the cross. So he's on the cross. Uh, there's two criminals that are hanging next to him. Verse 39. And I'm going to read this again because if I have typos, I don't like getting the Bible wrong. Um, 23:39. Uh, it's on page 1641. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man had done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the greatest example of mercy in Scripture. Um, I need to get a drink of water because I'm going to start slurring my speech. Um, This is the greatest example of mercy in Scripture. Um, Jesus, who is merciful, that is a quality of God. Uh, He was merciful in the beginning of Luke. He was merciful in the end of Luke. Uh, He's hanging on the cross. His next thing that's about to happen is he's going to hang his head and die. Uh, And he's chilling with two guys. One that is just chastising him, saying, you're the Christ, save yourself and us. It's nothing but selfish. Notice that Jesus doesn't say what happened to that man. The other man says, don't you recognize who this is? He knows that this man who is bleeding, who his ribs are exposed, who is about to die, he knows that he is the king. He knows that he is about to go into the kingdom of God and be, continue to be perfect, to be the king. Um, and Jesus dealing with this situation, I, I can't help, like, I, what would I do? What would Jesus do? I, I probably think, what would I do more than I think, what would Jesus do? What would I do? I'd be like, dude, man, I'm dying here. Like, I can't help you out. I'm about to die. Like, stop. Um, I would have my excuses like, dude, I'm tired. I'm just trying to sleep. I'd be raising my breath and just focusing on my breathing. I, I, I don't know what I would do. I'd probably, honestly, err on the side of being... I don't know which side was which. Um, we'll say this is the criminal that's bad. Um, I would probably err on the side of being the person that uh, was chastising and being just cruel to Jesus. Because, you know, I would have probably joined with the club. But here's the thing, and this is something that we can do. Because Jesus did it and is in us, in Christ. When we are in Christ, Jesus continued to be merciful. Continued to be exactly who he was. Continued even though he was in death. uh, About to suffer more than any of us could possibly know. He continued to say, today you will be with me in paradise. No excuses. No nothing. Except for being exactly who he was. And this, this is the key, what we can learn about being a good neighbor, is that in Christ, in Christ, we can also be a good neighbor. I, I've spent most of my life thinking this was impossible because I am weak, I am lame, but in Christ, we are strong. We can do things that are amazing. Um, we can be everything that we can be. 
And, and each one of you is made by Him. That's the thing. And each one of you has been given this, this, um, this person uh, that you are that is made by Christ and you're in Christ. And you are... You can't... You are not allowed to hide that. In the city of Detroit, in the state of Michigan, in this world, nowhere when you are in Christ are you allowed to... Are, are you not allowed to be who Christ made you to be? You have to look to the Good Samaritan. You have to look to Christ, Christ saying, this is what it is to be merciful. You have to look to Christ who's hanging on the cross and he's not giving it a single excuse. And this can look in a lot of different ways. Um, I know in, in our family, like, I mean... We, we love our neighborhood. I mean, I'm glad that Kate's here right now, too, because Kate's one of our housemates, and she's fantastic. I think we're all fantastic at being seeking to be good neighbors, but sometimes we have no idea how to. Um, and my answer to you is maybe too simple. It is, offer who you are in Christ. If it is having chickens in your backyard, you know what? Have chickens in the backyard in Christ. If it is having amazing kids and showing your kids off to everybody and saying, I hope that to be raising this kid well, let me walk with you in that. Show raising your kids and how to do that well. Everything that you are in Christ, I wave my hands a lot, sorry. I, I, uh, everything that you are in Christ is who you are called to be and you're not allowed to hide it. Um... And because Christ died for you, you are able to do it and do it well. Um, I'm going to close up with one story. Um, and, and, well, I, I'm going to leave you with one story, but I just want you to ask, what does it mean to be a neighbor for you? Uh, Christ commands it. This is the second greatest commandment. What are what excuses are you going to look past now and no longer let them mean anything? How are you going to serve? Um, when This is a little while ago now, but uh, when I was working in, in L.A., um, we worked with homeless families, and sometimes homeless families look a little bit different than what you expect them. They're not always sleeping in tents. Sometimes there's a family of 12 that's sleeping in a 12 by 12 room um, in an apartment complex that has cockroaches laying all around it. It's homeless. Uh, there's this one little girl. She was a second grader at the time. Amazing little girl. When I first met her, she was living in this home, and we worked hard to get her into a new place. But she was there for about five months with her family. Not 12, literally. She had nine people that lived, lived, literally living in a 12 by 12 apartment room. Um, and she, there were kids that ran around the hallway all the time, and she, she was that kid that you loved. She was the kid that, when she walked, if she walked through those back doors right now, you'd be like, sweet, I'm so glad she's here. She puts a smile on your face. You love her to death because it's impossible not to. A second grader, just cute as can be. Um, and we did a lot of work with work. We, we served in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that we served is we'd have barbecues and uh, just get out of Skid Row for a while because it's nice to leave. Um, sometimes it's nice to go to Panera Bread and Gross Point or whatever you do to just have a little bit of a break. Sometimes it's nice to go to Gethsemane. Um, uh, but we had a barbecue and we, and we left. Uh, we had a group of 50 people in our school bus that we drove out to our friend's house. We had a big backyard with a pool and we had a barbecue and we had guitars and we had all this. And we knew each other all really, really well. This was, this was my family. This was literally my family before I moved to Detroit. Um, and we... 
And it was just fun. We had a good time. One of the things that we did, we, uh, right before dinner, um, we had a time of praise and worship. We were just singing and screaming at the top of our lungs. And when we didn't know the words, we still praised at the top of our lungs. And then right before, we asked if anybody wanted to pray. And this little girl, I'm just going to call her Jill because that's the name I'm going to use. Jill, uh, she raised her hand. She's like, Chris, I'd love to volunteer. I'd love to volunteer. And, uh, and she prayed. And she I don't remember everything that she prayed, but one of the things that she prayed for, she prayed for three specific kids that were in that group there, also praising along with them. And she said, Lord, or she said, Jesus, I just want you, them to know that you love them. Uh, which I thought, I'm like, dude, she's adorable. Jill is ridiculously cute. That's so awesome. I'm so glad she prayed for us. That's sweet. Let's all go and get some barbecue. We're good to go. Um, and don't swim until 15 minutes after you're done eating. Uh, Three weeks go by, and uh, I learned that those three kids, those three kids were the ones that had been abusing her physically and sexually for the past three months and for the following three weeks. And she took the time to pray for them. Who does that? That is the story of mercy that Christ is talking about. It made me so angry that she did that. But you know what? For the last four years, when I wasn't looking to Christ, I was looking to jail. She is the symbol of mercy. She is the person of mercy that is the greatest thing that I've ever seen with my own eyes. She took the time to pray for somebody and want something that was completely perfect for them. Um, And I pray in our time in Detroit, in our time in Michigan, in our time wherever we're at, that we can stop making excuses for not being a good neighbor. That we can just know that Christ allows us to do it and that we do it, even if we don't do it perfectly. Um, so as Jesus says, come and do likewise. Um, I'm going to pray real quick, but right after that we're going to take our tithe and offering. Um, So I don't know who's doing the tithe. I'll run up and down if you need me to. But uh, but let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that we continue to be in the process of figuring out how to be a good neighbor.